Let's go to the Lord and prepare our hearts to take a look at his word this morning. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that we could be here today. That we could gather with our fellow believers and worship you alongside one another. Help us not to take these moments for granted. Thank you for the ways that you have blessed us as a church, the ways that you have blessed each of us individually. Sometimes we lose sight of your blessings. We lose sight of all the ways that you're moving in our lives. And I pray that in those moments, your spirit would just draw us back to you. Help us to keep our focus on you as a church and as individuals so that we would always pursue you and your glory in our lives. And we do pray that that would be true here. Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have today, later in the day, to reach our community through the tree trail. I thank you for all the volunteers who have poured in so much time this week to prepare it. I thank you for Pastor Brandon. I thank you for Julie and all that they have done to lead us in this. We pray that through this event today, we would have the opportunity to share your love with our community, to share the great news of the gospel. And I pray this morning, if there is anyone here who's never given their life to Jesus, that today would be the day that they make that decision. Father, we love you. As always, we thank you for loving us so much more. In Jesus' name, amen. So growing up, there were a couple of ways that my younger brother, Nick, handled his money that were always strange to me. So we, we earned money growing up doing odd jobs, cleaning office buildings, mowing lawns, etc. And there are two things I can still remember my younger brother doing with his money. One is that he used to carry all of his money with him at once. So however much money he had to his name, you could pretty much guarantee he had in his wallet. And I tried to tell him. I tried to tell him that wasn't safe. That wasn't wise. Leave some at home. He didn't listen to me. So after he misplaced his wallet a couple of times, that changed. But there was another thing he did that didn't change. And that's that he always seemed to be giving his money to other people. And by that, I don't mean that he was handing out cash. What I mean is that we'd go to the movies, and if there were friends who didn't have money to buy candy and snacks, well, Nick would treat them the same. If we were at the store and somebody couldn't afford something, Nick was your guy. And to me, I always thought, how wasteful he was being. And I thought he was just being so frivolous. And I always wondered why he was doing stuff like that. And it took me a long time to realize that I just, I didn't have a generous heart like him. And maybe he got that heart from, from his love for other people. Maybe it came from the fact that he felt too blessed to keep all of that to himself. Maybe it came from the fact that we had a good example of generosity growing up. Our dad is one of the most generous people I've ever met. He once literally gave me the shoes off of his own two feet. That may be why our older brother once told me that one of his goals in life is to feed one million needy kids. But I share all this because this week I was reflecting on how I was blessed to, to grow up and, and to be around all these generous givers. And then six years ago, God brought me to a church of generous givers. And that's what you are, First Baptist Church. You know, last year when we faced changes to our services, we weren't sure what things were going to look like financially. 
But because of your faithfulness in giving, we were able to continue the work. And then fast forward to this year. And this year, within, within the span of just a few months, we had a lightning strike that took out a lot of equipment in the sanctuary. Many of you know about that. We had a water pump that needed to be fixed, a water heater that needed to be replaced, a drain field that needed to be moved, and then most recently, an AC unit that went out. These aren't cheap things. But again, because of the faithfulness of God's people, these were things that were covered. We didn't have to worry about these things. And because of that, we could continue to focus on the greater thing of sharing the gospel and growing in our faith alongside each other. And of course, when you give at FBCO, it does more than just help with building maintenance and keeping the lights on. Your giving allows us to pursue outreach events and opportunities, things like the tree trail or upward sports, basketball clinics, the mental health ministry, our book ministry to the school. Your giving allows us to pursue discipleship opportunities through small groups, through new Wednesday night classes. It's because of your giving that the staff is unleashed to the full-time pursuit of evangelism and discipleship and leading. Your giving does that. And these are just a few of the things that your giving to the church accomplishes. And for some of us, those are all the reasons that we need to give. But then for the rest of us, we're still wondering why. You know, why, why does it matter that we give in the Christian life? Why do we give to the church? Why is giving important for me individually? Why can't I just leave that to other people? Today, as we turn together to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, we're going to take a look at some reasons why giving to the Lord matters for God's people. So if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. 1 Chronicles, so we're going to be in the Old Testament, chapter 29. If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to use one of the Bibles under the chairs in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 343. Page 343, and you'll find yourself in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. You know, as you turn there, I just personally want to, to share something with all of you. And it's very important to me that you know this. I want everyone to know that while every church operates differently, now, I want to make clear that the pastoral staff here at FBCO, including myself, we don't have records of individual givers, nor do we want that. In other words, unless someone comes up and says, Pastor, I'm giving $100 to this thing that we are pursuing. Unless someone says something like that, we don't know who gives or what you give. That's the way that we want it to be here. We want your giving to be between you and the Lord. We don't want your concern to be, what do the pastors think of my giving? Instead, we should be concerned with, what does God think of my giving? And I just really want that to be clear to everyone. Now let's see what God's Word has to say about giving. First Chronicles chapter 29, we're going to look at verse 1. It's going to help set the stage for what's going on. It says, Then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. 
And I'm going to stop right here because I want to explain through this verse what we are going to see this morning. See, David is nearing the end of his life, and so he addresses the people. His rule over the nation of Israel was coming to a close. His son Solomon was next in line to be king. And David was making clear that he wasn't just giving a throne to Solomon, but he was also giving Solomon the task of building a temple, a structure not for man, but for the Lord. Now, this was not going to be some little building, but a beautiful place built in honor of the God of all creation. David went on to tell them that the the blueprints and the materials to build had been gathered during his reign as king. More than that, David shared that he had personally given from his own wealth, his own resources to that construction of the temple. And then David said in verse 5, he said, Now who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? And when he asked that, that's when family, military, and tribal leaders all began to bring their own wealth and their own resources and giving it to the construction of the temple. So I want us to see the result of all this giving. We're going to pick up now in verse 9. It says, The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You're the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I? Who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. We're foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we've provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand. And all of it belongs to you. All right, keep your place right there in 1 Chronicles 29. In the New Testament, James chapter 1, verse 17 tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from God the Father above. And what James tells us in a few words, David describes in many words. In fact, as we went through those verses together, I'm sure some of us were reminded of what those good things are that God gives. But to understand that God gives all good things, we first need to recognize what David did which is that everything in heaven and earth belongs to God. As such, God is the head over all. He's the ruler of all things. And He's the ruler of all people. That means that human rulers like David, like his son Solomon, they only have authority because God graciously gave it to them. Romans 13 tells us that 
There is no authority except that which God has established. And you know, David understood that in his life. Remember, David, David had seven older brothers. David was just out tending the sheep when God called him to be the next king of Israel. There are some people who think that they deserve power and prestige and authority, but David never forgot in his life that God plucked him out of obscurity and called him to do this because God is the ruler. He's the one who gives people authority. And God gave David the authority over the land of Israel. In fact, that very land that David and the Israelites stood on had been given to them by God. I mean, they, they were foreigners and strangers. The Israelites were a wandering people until God gave them rest in the promised land. But you know, God gives more than the right to rule. He gives more than land. He gives life. David said in verse 15, he said, our days are like a shadow. How true, our days are like a shadow. They're like a mist, like a vapor. Here one moment and gone the next. My son Judah, he he notices his shadow now. And the other morning I was standing in the kitchen. Judah can also reach light switches now. And I was standing in the kitchen and all of a sudden the light went out and then I heard a little voice behind me say, where'd Judah's shadow go? Because he's starting to learn that when the light goes out, the shadow goes out quickly too. It goes with it. And this life comes and goes quickly, just like a disappearing shadow. But God's people, we don't pout over the brevity of this life. Instead, we rejoice for each day that God gives us. That's why David said in Psalm chapter 3, he said, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. He's given us our breath, our life in this very day. God's given us all these things. That's not all that God gives us. David recognized in verse 12 that all wealth, as he put it in verse 16, all abundance comes from God. Look at all these things that God graciously gives to people. Believers, the first reason why our giving to the Lord matters is because our giving is simply a recognition that everything we have comes from God. That our time, our resources, our life, and our money comes from him, and ultimately it belongs to him. All of it. What David say? He said, what we've given came from your hand. Now, I believe that many Christians, we agree with this truth in principle, but we struggle at times to agree with it in practice. Because if we truly believe that everything we have, including our money, comes from God, well, then giving back to the Lord wouldn't be a joyless obligation, but instead it would be something of wholehearted excitement. But is it? Instead, sometimes our giving is based on on comfort. We think, well, I'll give when my bank account looks good, uh, when I feel good about my finances, when I don't have any worries, then I'll give something to God. Kind of like the man who told me that He'd be generous as soon as he won the lottery. 
But typically, those who don't give to the Lord when they have little, they're not going to give to the Lord when they have much either. Or we give based on the leftovers. We say, once I've paid all these other things and distributed my money where it needs to go, well, then I'll see what's left over to give to God. But you'll find in Scripture that God's people were never told to give Him the last fruits. They were told to give Him the first fruits of the harvest. Now, we give Him the best, and we're supposed to give to Him first because after all, hasn't it all come from Him? And then sometimes we give based on convenience. You know, if the time is right, if you catch me in the right mood, maybe if I got a bonus check at work, that's what I'm going to give. But attitudes like these that we at times fall into when it comes to giving often come from the mindset of seeing money as my money. We say, it's mine. I earned it. And I have plans for it. So I'll see what God gets from it. But again, we have to ask, is that the right attitude? I love how David said, who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give this generously? Who am I? I mean, sure, David was this great warrior king, but, but who was he really? He's this former shepherd boy, a man who had been on the run from his predecessor, King Saul, a man who had been on the run not long before this from one of his own sons who tried to take the throne, a man who had made many mistakes, yet here he stood, the leader of God's people, able to give to the building of a temple for God. But who are the Israelites but this people who had this long history of wandering? And now they were giving so much to build a temple to God in this land of Israel. They didn't deserve these things. The only reason they could give these things is because God gave to them. And the same is true for us believers. Whether we have much or little in this life, who are we? That we should be blessed by God to have anything in this life. Yet all our days and every penny to our name comes from the Father above who gives every good and perfect gift. We give as we are able. The only reason we're able is because everything we have has come from God. But many times we make a really big deal about giving in the sense of we don't like to think about it or talk about it. But our giving matters. And one of the reasons is because it's one way we recognize everything we have comes from God. Realizing that will often lead to us giving for the right reasons and with the right attitude. Look at verse 17. David said, I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I've seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. You probably caught it in that verse that we just read that two times David used that word willingly when he was talking about giving. In fact, verse 9 told us that we saw earlier that the people rejoiced over the willing, free, and wholehearted giving of many of these leaders. You see, when we truly believe that everything we have comes from God, that will inevitably lead to a desire to willingly give of those things back to God. 
And to do that with what David called honest intent, without any ulterior motive of, well, people are really going to pat me on the back for this one. There's going to be a lot of hand claps for me. They're going to put my name on a building. But instead, giving simply, simply because I just want to give this to God. No matter how anyone responds, I just want to give this to God. See, the second reason why giving matters is it is because it is the response of a thankful heart. When we know God gave us everything, that should lead to genuine thankfulness in our lives. And the overflow of that thanks should result in freely and willingly giving to the Lord. God isn't looking for obligated, compulsory giving. That's not what He's looking for. He's looking for joyful giving, for thankful giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 tells us that God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful givers are deeply thankful that they have anything at all. And so when they give to the Lord, they give with great joy. And they give with the right attitude and for the right reasons. And that's what David and many of the others did in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. By the way, I don't want us to miss this. And I hope you noticed this earlier as we read through some of those verses. That a thankful heart will not just be thankful for the stuff that has been given, but it will be thankful for the one who gave those things. So you may have seen that David's sweet prayer wasn't just, thanks for all this wealth, God. No, it was more than that. David talked about the greatness, the power, the glory, the majesty and splendor of God. Because once we recognize God's given us all things, we'll be a more thankful people. And that won't just result in giving to God, but it's also going to result in worshiping Him. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 18. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, and decrees and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and the king. The next day they made sacrifices to the Lord and presented burnt offerings to him. A thousand bulls, a thousand rams, and a thousand male lambs, together with their drink offerings and other sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. The result of this wholehearted giving was that the people rejoiced and praised God together. That's the third reason I want us to see why giving matters. It's because it leads to greater worship in our lives and the lives of God's people. When we aren't so anchored to our wallets and our purses, we'll find it's far easier to leap out of our seats and praise the Lord. When our focus is on God first, we won't be consumed by greed, but we'll be captivated by His greatness. And as a result, we won't be able to help but praise Him. And I'm so thankful that every time this church gives faithfully to a project, to a ministry, to a need, that it is a church where there is much rejoicing among the body of believers. That we praise God for who He is, for what He's done, and what we know He's about to do. 
Recently, we had the fall session of our Baptist Association of Churches, and I was blessed to report to the churches the thousands and thousands of dollars that the association had unleashed the previous year for God's kingdom purposes, for outreach events to share the gospel with the community, for church plants, for the discipleship of pastors and leaders. The reality was that we could have as an association tens of thousands of dollars more in the bank. But instead, we decided to use what was given in the pursuit of God's glory. And because of what was given and because of the results of its use, everyone there rejoiced. And we praised God together. Because when God's people recognize that this all comes from Him, and when we give it to Him with thanksgiving, then that wholehearted giving ultimately results in worship. Please understand this morning is not about being guilted into giving tithing or donating or anything like that. That's why we're not passing the plates at the end of the service. It's not what this is about. This is about understanding why giving matters. And believers, giving to God does matter in our lives. Now, it's, it's the rooted in our, our gratefulness to and our dependence on Him. Our giving to God should be the natural and joyful overflow of our hearts as we recognize He's given us all things. And you see, when we fail to recognize these things, that's when we become hoarders of wealth instead of givers of wealth. That's when we become people with greedy hearts instead of generous hearts. And soon, that's when money becomes an idol. We start to think of money first before we think of God. We start to think of the bottom line instead of thinking, what would Jesus Christ like me to do? So my encouragement to all of us this morning, even in this church full of such generous givers, my encouragement is that we would each simply evaluate in our lives and ask, do I, do I believe that every good thing and every blessing comes from God? If so, when I give to the Lord, and do I give to the Lord, do I give to the Lord joyfully? And am I doing it in the spirit of worship? Some of us need to evaluate these things and bring something to the Lord in prayer. During our time of invitation, I'm going to encourage you to do that. Maybe we need to go to the Lord and simply ask Him, open my eyes, Lord, to my heart. Am I giving for the right reasons? Are you glorified in my giving? Is it about you, not about me? During that time of invitation, I'd encourage you to go to the Lord in prayer. I encourage you to come to the altar if you'd like to pray. Come up front and pray with me if you want. And we all need to recognize this truth, believers, that giving brings God glory in our lives and in His church. Our giving brings God glory in our lives and in His church. And don't forget that this isn't even the half of it. I mean, we've only talked about some of the physical things that God has given. We haven't even talked yet about the far greater spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. How the moment we put our faith in Jesus as our Savior, He gave us the forgiveness of our sins, the salvation of our soul. He adopted us into His family. He gave us citizenship in heaven, justification in God's sight. We have so much from God. We have much to rejoice over. And there are many ways that we can honor God with the gifts He has given us. And one of those ways is when we give back to the Lord.
And my prayer is that we would continue to be a church of joyful givers. If you're here this morning, though, friend, and Jesus is not your Savior, there's something I want you to understand before you leave. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, please understand how much He has already given for you, and then I want you to understand what He's still waiting to give you. So let me explain. The Bible is clear that all of us have sinned. We've done things that are wrong. We've broken God's commands. We've fallen short of perfection. And our sin deserves punishment. And the Bible tells us that the ultimate punishment for our sin is that after this life, we will be forever separated from God in a place of torment to all hell. But because God loves us so deeply, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. And Jesus took on a human body and did the thing that we can't do. He lived a perfect life. And at the end of that life, He willingly died on the cross. And when He was dying on the cross, He was taking our punishment for sin, all the wrath that we deserve. Understand what I'm telling you. Jesus gave His life for you and me. And He was buried and three days later powerfully rose from the dead. And right now, Jesus stands in heaven waiting to give you the forgiveness of all your sins, the salvation of your soul, and to bring you into a right relationship with Him. If only you'll go to Him and give Him your life. Fall at His feet and say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I need You. Friend, what I'm trying to say is please understand God doesn't want your money. He doesn't need it. He gave it to you. No, God doesn't want your money. He just wants you. And if that's hard for you to believe, then all you have to do is look at the cross. Because that's when He proved how much He wants you. And the Bible says that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you have never done that, I hope that you won't wait any longer. Would you pray with me? Friend, if that's you and you're ready to give your life to Jesus, please know I'd love to have you come up during our invitation and we could pray together. But if you're ready to do that right now, I don't want you to have to wait another moment to receive all those things that Jesus has just been waiting to give to you. If you'd like to give your life to Him, you can follow me in a simple prayer like this one. You can say, Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. But Jesus, I know You died on the cross for my sins. And I believe You didn't stay in the grave, but You rose from the dead. Jesus, I'm asking You to forgive me. To be my Savior. And today I'm giving You my life. I'm ready to be all Yours. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there is anyone here that made that decision today. I pray they'd be willing to share that with someone because this is a church who would love to rejoice with them. I pray that Your Spirit would wrap His loving arms around them. Father, for those of us who have made that decision, who have received so much from You, help us never to lose sight of the greatest things that You have given us. The salvation of our soul, forgiveness of our sins, a relationship with You. Oh, we should be the most thankful people. I pray that would be true of us. I thank you for all the generous hearts that you have brought to First Baptist Church of Oxford. Be with us now as we evaluate our hearts. 
to make sure that we are giving for the right purposes, that we are doing so joyfully in a heart of worship. Because, Father, we want to make sure as a church that everything we do, including in our giving, are things that would bring you glory, not us. I pray that that would be true here. So that if your son doesn't return for another 142 years, First Baptist Church of Oxford would still be here. Worshiping you, joyfully following you, pursuing your glory. But for however long you give us the opportunity to do that, help us to follow you with our whole hearts in everything we say and do and give. We pray you be glorified in our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.